Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And welcome to A Different Perspective. I am, in fact, Kevin Randall. I do not deny that. I'll be joined in just a moment by John Greenwald, and we'll be talking uh, about UFOs, of course. And I just wanted to say that last week we had a somewhat contentious, I guess, debate about uh, this document that Tony Begalia has released suggesting uh, proof. I think proof would be the right word of um, uh, the government research into recovered alien debris. And uh, I thought I would talk to John Greenwald today about that because uh, he's got, I think, some uh, interesting insights into the way FOIA works and some interesting insights into the way the documentation is or what the documentation, in fact, shows. I will say that starting at age 15, John Greenwald Jr. was struck with a curiosity that led off into a lifelong journey. First researching the UFO phenomenon, Greenwald began utilizing freedom of information to hammer the United States government for answers, and he targeted every government agency to get them. As he uh, waited for answers on this niche of the paranormal, he then branched off into investigate nearly every government secret imaginable. He was a sophomore in high school when he first started his trek in 1996. Oh, that makes me sad. And the reason I say that is because I was a sophomore in high school in like 1964, 1965. Good God, I'm old. Anyway, he started his trek in 1996, and he achieved all his research, uh, uh, archived all his research on a website that became known around the world as the Black Vault. Today, he has amassed well over 2 million pages of classified or declassified records. His efforts throughout the decades of research have been responsible for getting hundreds of thousands of pages that have never been seen the light of day and the public uh, light, seen the light of day. <laughs> I, I lost my place. I looked at the clock. I'm sorry. 
He has appeared on numerous television and radio programs throughout the world and has frequently sourced in various news articles and stories for his archive and his discoveries. John, I'm sorry I botched the introduction, but I looked the, I looked at the clock and it drew my attention away. Welcome to A Different Perspective. Hey, it's not a problem. It's always good to be here, Kevin. Thanks for inviting me in. Um, you and I have chatted about the, um, the, the latest from Tony Begalia about these 147 documents that he received from the government that suggest that they've been using uh, recovered alien debris from um, to to advance their research. I'm trying to compose the question in my mind as I go along here, and I'm not doing a very good job of it. What I was thinking of here was um, he and I got into a discussion, and it became sort of the theme of the discussion about his very detailed request of what he wanted, the response by the FOIA manager or whomever responded to him from the DOD using one of the terms he used, which is UAP for unidentified aerial phenomenon as opposed to UFO. Um, I was trying to draw out, is there anything in the documents that relate to UFOs or that sort of thing? And his response was always, it was very specific in my request. So the question becomes, and you filed probably hundreds, if not thousands of FOIA requests, asking specifically for specific information and documents, do they ever take you in a direction that is not exactly where you wanted to go? It's sort of, well, I fulfilled my FOIA request thing and now go away? Uh, well, yes. And to, to, to give you a statistic, um, in 25 years of filing FOIAs, this will be my 25th year, I filed over 10,000 to pretty much every federal agency that you can think of on pretty much every topic uh, that has anything to do with some kind of secrecy level. So after 10,000 requests, the answer to what you are proposing is yes, they often will take you down paths that aren't exactly what you're looking for. Now, these aren't official terms, uh, but these are ones that I'll throw out there to kind of make this a little bit easier to understand. FOIA officers, for the most part, are very helpful people. They're nice and they want to help. That's it, period. And even though some agencies are much more difficult to deal with others, and yes, a lot of agencies have a lot of big delays when it comes to processing requests, all those are frustrations with the FOIA. It just comes with the territory. Uh, but my point here is that on the other end, when I file a FOIA, they're human. And most of them want to help me, and most of them want to do their job. In that process, they will process your request to the best of their ability. A lot of times they're doing this about topics that they know nothing about. Um, that's not an insult to them. They just deal with everything that goes in there. They can't be an expert on everything. So when they get the request, a lot of times, yes, you will yield responsive material that's not exactly what you're looking for. And the terms that I use to best explain this, are exactly responsive and loosely responsive. Again, those are not official terms. I just kind of use them to best explain what a FOIA officer does. So I have quite a few different examples. I'm happy to get into them with you to, to give you some, uh, some examples of that. But I think in, in, in Anthony's case, what is going on is that, yes, he was very specific in his request seeking UAP material. He had a list of numerous uh, items that he wanted in his FOIA, 
all of that is is commendable. That's what you do. You describe what you want. But the the downside to this, uh, and in fact, he had seven items on his list. The downside to this is that when you have seven items and one of which will yield responsive records, that doesn't mean that everything is related to all seven items on your list. Um, it doesn't work that way. The minute something then is responsive to one of those seven points, the FOIA officer grabs it. In my opinion, what his what his kind of trigger item was, was what he said, the titles and authors of all technical and analytical reports conducted on all held material. That is it. No mention of UAP, no mention of UFO, no mention of crash debris or anything. Now, the the reason where I think he's John, getting... let me interrupt. Let me interrupt sure. here because because it, it it triggers a question here. Yeah, um, he was looking for materials that came out of Bigelow Aerospace, um, and they supposedly was a recipient of this alien debris, and they held it held it there. You're suggesting that that because he asked for basically authors and technical reports from Bigelow Aerospace, they pulled that stuff out, ignoring sort of the UAP aspect of it, but looking for the technical reports and Bigelow Aerospace were the triggers for, for his response. That's correct. And that's what I would call loosely responsive versus exactly responsive. And when you look at his item number five, the titles and authors. Yeah, I believe that that FOIA officer wanted to do his due diligence. He got every DIRD report. That's the, um, you know, defense, uh, defense intelligence reference document or whatever it is. Uh, he got all of the ones out of the 38 that we know for a fact exist. He got all the ones that dealt with material. And he used those as the responsive records. Now, I've not talked to the FOIA officer, nor do I speak on his behalf. But in my opinion, looking at that, that's what he was trying to do. He was like, okay, you know, he's not going to sit down and analyze, well, were the, was this UAP? Was this a aircraft? Was this? No, he says they're all about material. The quickest way possible is to just go ahead and grab that material, uh, review it for declassification, or in this case, they were unclassified, but for official use only, uh, but review them for a public release. That's what they did, redacted some names and released the information to the FOIA requester. So that's what we have here. And, and I think that if, if, you, if you dismiss all other evidence and people that I talked to researching this dismiss all of that, I think you still have a, a pretty strong case to go, okay, this doesn't quite prove that the Pentagon just admitted to UFO debris like Anthony had ran his headline on. Uh, this was something that he had mentioned OSAP, he had mentioned material. He had mentioned technical and analytical reports. And bingo, that's enough to grab those reports, even though they don't uh, pertain to, let's say, item number um, three of his request, which was talking about the method that they were obtained and talking about crash material. That's And I'm referencing his FOIA request with that. What so, about... What about the the FOIA officer who responded to his request? His name was Stephen, and I forget the last name. Uh -huh. Used the term UAP in his response. Is that significant? Does that mean that what you've got here is is material uh, from from another planet? It's a it's a great question, and no, I don't believe that it is. And the reason is, is if you look at the letter, 
I believe a lot of times, or actually I know for a fact, a lot of times agencies will use templates. So they'll have the majority of the letter already written out and they essentially copy and paste the variables of the letter, in this case, the subject matter. And when you look at it, it kind of supports that theory because the beginning of, and I don't have the letter in front of me, uh, but anybody can pull it up, the beginning of the part where it references what it's about is capitalized. It's not the beginning of a sentence and it's not a proper name. There's no reason to capitalize it other than he probably copy and pasted it from, let's say, a Freedom of Information Act log. And then he puts it over or his own personal notes or whatever it may be. Um, copy that, paste it into the letter. And yeah, it's a great question, but I, I just don't see that that has anything to do with the material that um, uh, th that was that was given. And, and let me bring up a prime example of why I say that. I've got a, a FOIA case with the United States Army, actually one that's quite old. Uh, this was going back to 1997. And I was asking for anything related to UFOs uh, and or flying saucers uh, at the time. That's how I was kind of structuring requests. I was still learning, you know, how to really dig in for, for information. Uh, and this was in, these were, this was in the beginning months of, of doing research. And long story short, the responsive material, and there was hundreds of pages that came up, included the majority of which all about the Horton brothers and a flying wing design uh, from Nazi Germany during World War II. Now, why would that come up under a UFO request or flying saucers? We all know what we were looking for. Even the FOIA officer knew what I was looking for. But inside those documents, when it comes to the Horton brothers design, which are, is awesome history, by the way, uh, if anybody's uh, curious about it. But uh, inside those documents, the Horton Brothers design was often referred to as a flying saucer. It wasn't unidentified. That was the other part of my request. It was perfectly identified. Yet the FOIA officer felt that, well, these are flying saucers and it loosely was related to my request. So they sent it. That's the difference between loosely responsive and exactly responsive. Because obviously exactly responsive would be some other documents that came up in that release, which were about UFOs, craft they couldn't identify. And a quick side note, it was actually photographs of UFO debris. Very cool. Uh, but these, the majority of the release was all about the Horton brothers and a craft that was identified. But that is an example of what I mean. FOIA officers want to help. Now, let's say these FOIA officers uh, started saying, well, uh, you know, he mentioned UAP, so I'm going to omit that he mentioned materials, mentioned uh, technical reports, analytical reports, and he omits all of that and then purposely says, well, Anthony, we have nothing responsive to your request. In the eyes of the FOIA and the law, uh, that's not compliance. That's well, let, me not let me interrupt, John, because I've mm -hmm. got to take a break here. And I have no choice. I have to take it. I don't <laughs> no want problem. to, but I have to. Uh, your, of course, website is www.theblackvault.com. You've been collecting the materials for 25 years, apparently. Um, and I also wanted to mention that there are some other fine programs about the paranormal on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at xzbn.net. So take a look at the listings at the X-Zone website, and you'll find some that'll spark your interest, I'm sure. I will be back right after this with John Greenwald, and we'll be continuing to talk about FOIA and UFOs and anything else we can think of. So please stick around.
privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. I am here with John Greenwald of the Black Vault fame. And as I always mention in today's environment, we are practicing social distancing. I'm in one state, and I believe he's in a state of inebriation, but I don't know for sure. <laughs> anyway, we were talking about FOIA requests and how the FOIA officers respond. And um, just to touch on this briefly before we go on, um, from my understanding of what you're saying, the fact that they've repeated phrases that you used in your request back to you is really not significant in the um, what they have sent you. No, not at all. And and to support that, all you got to do is look at the Freedom of Information Act case logs where they summarize what a lot of FOIA cases are about. And the way they do that is an extreme shorthand and generally a lot of times missing the mark of what the scope of the request is. And so my point there is that they they very commonly condense things into sentence, uh, you know, one sentence form and then use that as as essentially your um, your descriptor of what the FOIA case was they're about. Repeating, and, they're repeating your descriptor as opposed to saying this this is this proves your point or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I think the FOIA case officer who's caught up in this, who's getting blasted behind the scenes, and I know that because I'm being CC'd on them. Um, uh, so, and and that's all public information. I'm not divulging anything that was sent to me privately. Anything that's sent in th to the U.S. government, you can get it under FOIA, even from an outside person. So, just for that record, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to divulge any personal information here. He's been uh, writing the Pentagon and writing the DIA and blasting this poor FOIA officer. And to be honest with you, I think the guy was probably being more helpful uh, or trying to be more helpful than malicious here. And, um, and, and so I think that this has gotten blown way out of proportion on well, what this is really about. Well, let's look at, let's look at the documentation itself because um, as I pointed out, and I, I, I know you've pointed out, that um, there's nothing in the documentation that really takes us into the realm of the extraterrestrial at all. Um, if it was not for the FOIA officer's response about UAP, there wouldn't really be a connection now. And you've looked through the document yourself. What was your reaction to what you saw? Well, my reaction was just kind of putting more information to report titles that have been out there since the beginning, I believe, of 2019, I think it was, 
of what these DIRD reports were connected to OSAP. And at the time, I was always surprised, hey, there's no UFO-like titles. When it comes to now seeing the full reports on these, it reinforces that, that none of this deals with UFOs or UAPs. Now, for me, the silliness of this is the argument that that Anthony has posed uh, back to me. This was a public comment and rebuttal to me creating a video and kind of outlining, hey, this isn't what it seems. And using real world examples, citable cases that anybody can verify, saying this is not UAP material. And, and that upset him because he doesn't agree with that. And in his public rebuttal said that, of course, it would not say UFOs or UAPs or aliens or extraterrestrials, because essentially that would uh, blow the cover. So this is all, you know, um, essentially being covered up or shielded from the general public. My argument with that is is very, very simple. If you're going to want to classify something, you classify it. You don't hide things in unclassified settings and unclassified papers or slap uh, for official use only on it. And you're secretly talking about you know, extraterrestrials or, or, or aliens. You don't do that. You slap a top secret stamp on it. You get a very small list of people that are cleared at that level to deal with extraterrestrial debris or intelligence or whatever. It's silliness to start going down the route that all of a sudden we're going to start hiding things in unclassified papers and the UFO community starts saying, aha, because it doesn't deal with UFOs, it doesn't say UFOs, and it's not about UAPs or UFOs. That proves it's alien. Like, that to me is silliness. And, we're not, and I'm not just picking on Anthony. That's in quite a few different arenas here uh, in 21st century ufology, that if it doesn't say UFOs, then it has to be about UFOs. And I just, I don't get that argument at all uh, well, whatsoever. Let me, change, let me change the direction of the conversation here a little bit. Um because Bigelow Aerospace has come up in the conversations. Mm -hmm. What can you tell me about Bigelow Aerospace? Sure. So we know by the documented fact that Bigelow Aerospace got a contract back in 2008. They were awarded um, uh, what is reported anyway, $22 million. That's never been officially confirmed. But what has been confirmed is they won this contract called OSAP. And it's the Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Application Program. That's the, the, the short way of saying that. And OSAP goes to Bigelow subsidiary Bass. And Bass was supposed to create numerous technical reports, which is what we've been talking about, the DIRD reports, all about advanced aerospace technology forward projecting into the future about 40 years. And into the future of 40 years, uh, you were going to look at material, propulsion, lift, even physical effects on human beings with the advancement of these aerospace applications. That was the contract. And believe it or not, for those who don't know, the OSAP bid solicitation has always been public. You just needed to know where to look. There was nothing classified about it. There was nothing UFO related about it or UAP or alien or anything. It was just aerospace uh, technology research. And so that's that's what he got. Now, as the legend goes, that this was a secret UFO study. And somehow, when the contract was awarded to Bigelow Aerospace's Bass, it, it was secretly a UFO study. 
And Kevin, that that's a show in itself. But in short, how do you draw that line from aerospace application to UFOs? I, I mean, I guess we can if we start fudging things. But contracts, when it comes to the military and the government, are very specific. The very simplistic way, if you hire somebody to, to bake a cake, they can't turn around and, you know, make you a puzzle and consider that contract fulfilled. No, you contracted them to bake a cake. Same with Bass. They were contracted to make these reports, which is what we see. It was supposed to be about aerospace applications. That's primarily what we see. Nothing about UFOs. The question mark is, how did we get to a UFO program when it comes to OSAP? And where did Bigelow think that he was getting UAP material? And that opens up a huge conversation where Bigelow said he spent millions of dollars renovating his facility in Nevada to house UAP material, but just recently came out in the last four or five weeks and said he never got any. So there's a lot of questions entwined in that. And and it is who paid for the building modifications and why did you think you were getting UAP material? I think those Bigelow, are two excellent questions. But Bigelow, that's Bigelow's connection to all this. Bigelow has been had a long interest in UFOs. Right. And he and I, and this is incredible, he and I actually went out to Area 51 together. Uh, we didn't get in, of course, and we sat great a long ways away and watched stuff going on around us. Um, we ate Kentucky Fried Chicken on a picnic table, as a matter of fact. Me and Bob Bigelow, my good pal. Uh, and, and I know he showed up at uh, MUFON conferences. And he's dealt with MUFON a great deal. So he has a long interest in UFOs. Mm -hmm. Is that a way we get from Bigelow Aerospace into UAP, into these documents? Well, it's, it's possible when it comes to spending OSAP money to do UFO research. That's, that's a possibility, but that begs to ask a couple other questions. How, where did that come from? You know, a lot of people have made the argument that they didn't put UFO research into OSAP's language because that was secretive and that was classified. Well, again, I'd use the same argument. Well, then just make the bid solicitation classified and only have your trusted contractors bid on it and that's it. But regardless of that, uh, people have claimed that it was all supposed to be a secret. Well, I got in writing the DIA to admit that Bigelow Aerospace was the one and only bidder on this particular contract. Essentially, it was catered to him. So now that question comes up. Okay, if this was supposed to be a UFO research program, then who set you up with it? Because obviously somebody set him up with it. I mean, that's... That's just politics, you know? I mean, if, if he's the only bidder and somehow UF, this was supposed to be a UFO research program, then who who connected the dots? Who who got the millions of dollars into to Bigelow's coffers uh, from the Defense Intelligence Agency's budget? Uh, the one who spearheaded getting that money was Harry Reid, senator of Nevada, at the time that all of this went down. And as we know, Bigelow Aerospace is headquartered in Nevada, and for those who might be posing the question, well, maybe Bigelow donated to Harry Reid. The answer to that is yes, it's all public, and I've posted all of those donations. Now, I'm not making any accusations here, but rather pointing the point, trying to paint the light in the right way to put this all into proper context. So to go back to your point, yes, he had UFO interest, and that's fine. I'm not negating that. I want people to spend money. I want the government, the military, 
and even private citizens to spend money because UFO research deserves it. But in the same respect, did the DIA want a UFO research program? It's, again, contracting somebody to bake a cake. And what did they get in return? And these 38 reports, all that don't mention UFOs, there's kind of an oddball one that has uh, information on the Drake equation. Uh, I mean, yes, that's interesting, and we don't know why it was in there. But regardless, most of the other stuff is all about aerospace. Well, let me technology. let me interrupt. Let me interrupt here and explain what the Drake equation is, which is, of course, the um, um, from Project Ozma back in the 1960s in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, which has nothing to do with um, UFOs. It, it's an idea of how many planets in the galaxy could uh, have life on them and uh, civilizations that would be at a level that we could communicate with on so, in some way. So that's that's the, the Drake equation. Um, and it really doesn't relate to UFOs. It relates to the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Yes. And that's an excellent point. So the question mark is, why is it in there? And, and, and I don't have an answer to that. I find it intriguing and I want to know. But then that also, again, brings up yet another question. Why do the other 37 reports have nothing to do with UFOs or alien life or extraterrestrial beings or anything like that? So there's a lot of unanswered questions. And when Robert Bigelow went on the record uh, just weeks ago, this was like the first time that I'm aware of that he spoke publicly about OSAP. And uh, we've mostly relied on the media to give us the tidbits of information, which <laughs> don't get me started on that. But this was the first time that Robert Bigelow did. So I was incredibly intrigued. And for him to say that, you know, based on the New York Times' claim that they essentially had material in these specially modified buildings, for Bigelow to say, no, we never had any, uh, he kind of put the nail in the coffin to show that the reporting on all of this has been really, really bad. From the top level of journalism, when you get to like a New York Times, whether or not you like the New York Times, regardless, they have a pretty powerful masthead, all the way down to the bloggers, the ones that are running these sensationalized headlines about this same topic it's hurtful uh, to the to the to what i'll call a movement to get people to take this seriously but more so get the government and military to take it seriously and maybe put some some money behind r proper research and so that's why i get kind of passionate about the whole thing because all of that hurts i've done videos on the new york times I've done videos on this blogger who's making the claim about these DIA records. All of these things get blown out of proportion. And then you see them, you know, get mainstream attention because a couple UK tabloids brought them up and they got a, a, some fa flashy headlines out of it. Well, let me, and, let and me it's frustrating. Let me interrupt you here because we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, the question I'm going to ask you is uh, if Bigelow had really gotten uh, alien artifacts to, to research and it were highly classified, wouldn't he have then said, no, I don't have anything like that because it would have been required for him to, to deny anything like that? And we'll, we'll touch on that when we get back. I'm here with John Greenwald. We're talking about um, this batch of documents that have been released that su may suggest uh, research into UFOs, may prove that the Pentagon is researching UFOs and that sort of thing. Uh, so we'll be back to discuss that right after this. You are listening to A Different Perspective and thank you for being around.
am here with John Greenwald. We're talking UFOs, of course. And when we went away, I was posing a question, which is, uh, I'm going to set it up a little bit. Back in, the, back in 1960, for those of you who uh, read history or were around, uh, we were flying U-2s over the Soviet Union to spy on them. And of course, we were denying we were doing it. The idea was if one of them was shot down, there was a mechanism to destroy the aircraft and the pilot was supposed to commit suicide. In uh, May of 1960, I think it was, we lost one of the U-2s. President Eisenhower went on television when the Soviets accused us of spying on them and said, no, we're not doing that. It's not happening. He was lying, blatantly lying about this. In the days that followed, the Soviet Union, of course, produced the wreckage and, and um, Gary Powers, proving that we were flying U-2s over the Soviet Union. The point is that sometimes security gets in the way and those who are normally honest, reliable, upstanding individuals are forced into a position of having to lie. So the question becomes, if Bigelow had in fact gotten alien debris to reverse engineer in some fashion or to study, wouldn't he be, and, and now he's come out and said, no, I've never got anything like that. Can't we say that he would have been obligated to deny its existence based on the contracts and the things that uh, he may have learned? So you bring up an excellent point in this entire debate, and that is the classification behind what would uh, be essentially the biggest discovery of mankind. And we know for a fact, because history shows us, that UFO material is some of the most highly classified material. It just is. I've got reams of evidence to show it's all the way to the top secret level, a lot of which um, I can show is still being hidden by the government. To your question, you, the answer is yes. He might be able to lie, and that's fine. But you'd have to back up. You have to go back to December of 2017 and the New York Times breaking this story of sources that they name that claim to have been involved in this highly classified program. Because let's face it, they got alien material, the program's classified. And they're openly talking about this you know, research program. I don't believe any of that would have happened. If, if this was all on a top secret level that tied to extraterrestrial debris and, and uh, material that was otherworldly, we would have never heard about it. We would have no idea what OSAP was, ATIP was. We wouldn't know who Luis Elizondo was. And no offense to Robert Bigelow, because he seems like an incredibly nice guy. I don't believe Robert Bigelow would ever be given that material. Because Robert Bigelow's not afraid to go on 60 Minutes and talk about aliens walking among us. Because he's done it, right? So we know that. The government is not going to give someone like that, who likes to go on television... The, the nation's most closely guarded secret. I also have problems uh, accepting that he would it, it would even be put into the private sector at all. But I would accept a very short list of like the Lockheeds and the you know the the the, the Northrops of the, of the world that might be uh, very very trusted in that circle. Um, so you bring up an excellent point. Could Bigelow lie about it because it's classified and is that acceptable? It's quite possible. But then you have to back up that I don't believe that Luis Elizondo and all these people would be just kind of walking around talking about or hinting at it. 
right? We didn't see a lot of people talking about the U2 prior to its declassification, going on 60 Minutes and so on and so forth, talking about this aircraft. Uh, of course, there were rumors. Of course, newspapers tried to glom on to breaking a big story. But pretty much everything about the programs were mum. You know, there was nothing out there. Uh, and it wasn't just the U-2, the F-117, the B-2, even fast forward to today. A lot of those uh, aircraft or many aspects to them still remain highly classified. And if you start going out there and start yapping about it, um, you're going to get a knock on your door. You're not going to just be able to do it and go on 60 minutes. And, you know, they're just, ah, well, who cares? They're talking about these highly classified pieces of technology. Yeah, let's let them do it. No, that it just doesn't work that way. And so um, not to beat the dead horse, you asked an excellent question that not many people ask or pursue. And that is what should be a very highly classified topic. And it's not. But the, the other thing that you mentioned that Akita thought in my mind, you mentioned it going into the top aerospace industries, um, Lockheed and, and uh, those sorts of uh, companies. But um, you wouldn't you wouldn't farm that information or, or, or see that information into a university environment, would you? I wouldn't think so, unless you have a university level, you know, um, a scientist or or or, uh, or I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the word. But if you have that level that is cleared, because we know the CIA has contracted out classified programs, even going back to like the MK Ultra days, they were doing classified research programs. In fact, I found a classified document with my grandfather's name, my grandfather, whom I never met. Uh, I do know and have documented that he worked on highly classified, uh, ironically, aerospace um, uh, or, or, or rather aircraft uh, pieces of technology, including Bell Aircraft's X-1 and X-5 and going into classified programs and rocketry after that. And so to get classified uh, documents like that. Oh, and by the way, it was through a university. That was my whole point. So my grandfather wrote a classified document with a university letterhead uh, for uh, the United States Air Force. So my whole point being is that if you are cleared, um, then yes, you could potentially see some of that go to a university. When it comes to alien stuff, I highly doubt it. Well, uh, I was going to say, I was going to say in today's environment, I don't think I'd trust anybody at a university to keep that kind of a secret. No, no. Uh, but I wanted to bring up a historical aspect to this that, yes, it has happened. But I believe that if you're talking about the level of extraterrestrial debris and technology, you are going to keep that as close to the vest as you can and not farm it out to a university. You, plus, you've got a lot of uh, you've got a lot of military branches w with these laboratories. If you take the army research labs and stuff like that, they've got the, the capability, the know-how, the technology and the expertise to analyze this stuff by themselves. I don't think they need the private sector at all, which is why I say I have a lot of problems thinking that they would ever trust this outside of their, essentially their vaults and, and their levels of secrecy. Uh, I just, I just don't see it. And so to go back to OSAP, that's why I've had a lot of problems accepting that this is all some kind of secret Pentagon UFO study that we've been led to believe since December of 2017. Some people hate me for that. And, and it is what it is. No one can show me an official document that says that, that this was a UFO research program. Uh, they just can't. They, they cite newspaper articles. And uh, sadly, you can tear a ton of holes 
in the New York Times reporting on these on these topics. And and it's those are verifiable tears. You know, you can you can fact check them and see that they are not printing factual information. Last year was a prime example where they did get caught making a claim that Senator Harry Reid was talking about how uh, the United States government had recovered off world vehicles, insinuating that they had UFO debris from an alien aircraft, a spacecraft, I mean. And they retracted that 24 hours later. But the damage was done. That was the story that that if he really said that, that would have been the headline. It wasn't. But that would have been the headline. But a lot of other news outlets, I call it copy and paste journalism, grabbed that story and made Harry read the headline. And then the New York Times retracted it and went, oops. And then Harry Reid even tweeted out on his account, uh, hey, I believe that there's stuff out there, but uh, stuff out there meaning, um, um, you know, the, the UFOs need to be investigated. But he says, I've never said that they had off-world vehicle material like the New York Times had printed. Of course, I'm paraphrasing there, but he, he felt the need to tweet that out. So the reporting on this is shoddy at best. And that's not me being a big meanie, because some people, again, hate me for pointing it out. But if we're going to do this, if we're going to take steps forward, research UFOs, and, and really show that there's something to this, which I feel that there is, this can't be accepted anymore. You know, like we, we have to ask these really important questions that still many of which remain unanswered. But on top of that, we got to push the journalists to do a better job from the bloggers all the way up. You know, the ones that want to make extraordinary claims that are easily debunked. Uh, fine. I hope more people speak out against it. But it's not just bloggers. It's it's New York Times level mastheads that are running these over sensationalized um you know, uh, I'm trying to find a nice word to say. It's a family show, Kevin. But, <laughs> uh, you know, the, these uh, it, it's, it's essentially bunk and they're publishing bunk and, and people accept that because it sounds cool. And, and those days have to be over. Well, that's been a problem with the UFO field for ever since the beginning, where a sensational story will generate a lot of interest because it is, in fact, sensational. Yeah, and you do not get the um, the response when you find out it's not quite what it was made out to be. Uh, they don't want to hear about that sort of thing, and then you become the bad guy. Uh, I guess spoiling the idea by pointing the pulling the beard off Santa Claus or something like that. That's that's yeah, that's kind of how I've felt in some circles where they go, oh, you know, Greenwald's just being Greenwald again, and and you know they they throw their insults and throw sand in the sandbox. And that's fine. I'll take it. It's not that big of a deal for me. But what's more frustrating than getting insulted and getting rocks thrown my direction is the fact that people are OK with it. And I've seen the argument time and time again on social media. Why do you do this? Why do you care? UFOs are being talked about in New York Times or Politico or, you know, fill in the blank. It doesn't matter, essentially, if it's accurate but people are talking about it and people are being bred to accept it easier. And that's the argument. And I go, you guys got to look at the long term here. It's very cool for a week or two. But when it really starts to get to game time and let's say uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but very quickly, the the UAP report that that uh, the Senate has requested that hopefully we'll get sometime uh, later, th to later this year, if that actually comes. 
if the the Senate staffers and the DNI and and whomever's involved start looking at outside sources as well, and they fall back on media sources because we know that intelligence reports they do, they look at media sources. If they start looking at the major headlines, UFO-related headlines in the last, let's say, three years, and they look at that and they start digging in on the major headlines, and they realize that the majority of them are bunk, what do you think that report's going to have in it? I don't believe that they're going to just sit there and go, oh, well, the media you know, has it completely wrong. Here's the real juicy stuff. No, they will use that to their advantage and play down the topic. Tell the Senate that the media largely embellishes everything and uh, use a couple examples. And then maybe from the military and intelligence community, we'll get a couple exam- uh, examples that we already know of, uh, the FLIR, the Gimbal, and the GoFast. So we'll get nothing new, but they'll disguise it as something new. And they'll play the whole thing down. And for the next 60 years, we will have that to fall back on, just like the Condon Committee has been the fallback. And, and I believe if you look at history, and, and Kevin, I know you're well aware of this, but if you look at the history from the 60s and when Gerald Ford, before he was president, pushing for UFO reports and congressional interest and uh, this and that, which paved the way for funding a, a UFO study of, what okay, what do you guys have? And uh, then you've got the, um, uh, the report that comes out towards the end of 60, in the 1960s, that led to the cancellation termination of Project Blue Book. We see the same darn thing unfolding before our eyes, right down to the level of people that are involved. Politicians who aren't afraid to say they're interested. Um, there are former military, former government. All John, of it matches up. John, I got to take a break here. And I had a good comment, but I can't make it because I don't have time anymore. Because I blab too much, Ken. That's I'm right, sorry. absolutely. Uh, it's the blackvault.com for John Greenwald. I'm at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And it is the Exxon Broadcast Network at xzbn.net. Uh, we will be back right after this with John Greenwald, so stick around. returned with John Greenwald, who won't let me get a word in edgeways, and it's my show for crying out loud. Uh, when we that. went away, we were kind of talking about um, uh, uh, a lot of things and the way it works at the highest levels and how they disguise things or the problems with people telling the sensational stories that get traction for a day or two, and then we find out they're not any good. And what's the problem with that? And I think John what you wanted to say in a very succinct way would, would be that people will remember the debunking. They will not remember the good stuff. And the good stuff gets lost in the sensational that gets debunked. And I, the example I always use, and you hear me repeat it many, many times, everybody knows who Bill Buckner is because he blew a, a play at first base 
during a World Series game and his team went on to lose the World Series, they, everybody remembers that. They remember Bill Buckner. They don't remember all the great plays he made in his entire career. And that's where we are in the UFO field. If we, we give um, a lot of space to these sensational claims that turn out to be bunk, that's what people are going to remember. They're not going to remember the good stuff because sometimes the good stuff isn't quite that exciting. I think that's where you were going with that, John. I, you said it much better than I did. And a lot quicker, I might add. <laughs> yes, and I do apologize for speaking. No, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> um, so getting back to the, I guess, the, the, the reports that we've been getting through the news media, I saw a lot of stuff about these documents on the Internet in some of the less than pristine, credible sources. Yeah. Um, touting them, but I didn't see a lot of of um, reporting from, from some of the more, I, I'm, I'm struggling for words here for some reason. The, the well, more, the more reliable. Sources. More yeah. reliable, thank you, John. More reliable sources. I, it seemed it, 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 it was at a lower level. It didn't, it didn't rise to the point I'd like to have seen it. No, and I believe that that would be a good thing. Uh, most of the most of the UK tabloids picked it up. I, I think that and that gives me a little bit more faith, too, in some of these outfits and the mainstream media outlets that they did a, a, a little bit of due diligence, you know, that, that that they looked into it and they go, OK, well, here's this extraordinary headline and claim. And then when you look into it, it's not hard to debunk it. It, it really isn't. I mean, uh, this this uh this claim just doesn't have anything to back it up. So that does give me a little bit of faith that this is, uh, you know, that, that some of these outlets are still researching it. But the minute that it did go on Drudge Report, uh, which is, regardless of your thoughts on Drudge, uh, is one of the most coveted spots in all of news. So the minute it went there, it got a lot of attention, uh, more attention than it, it deserved. And when we boil it down to the essence... Uh, what we find is there is, I think, one mention of extraterrestrial in all of these documents, and it refers to using the local materials to build bases on other planets, so it's extraterrestrial material being used. There's really nothing to suggest any kind of visitation or anything else going on. It looks like it's just general research into our advancing technology. Yes, that's correct. Nothing to what is being claimed. So when we get when we get done with this thing, we have some interesting reports, but we don't have anything proving that the Pentagon has admitted to there being UFOs or extraterrestrial visitation or debris or anything like that. And in fact, one thing we haven't mentioned, uh, I in the course of uh, doing the video that I did and then wrote a subsequent article and took it even farther is I reached out to Dr. Hal Putoff. And the reason why. His voice is very important in this, as, as, as for those who don't know, uh, he's very much an advocate for UFO transparency, uh, very much is essentially not a debunker or a government guy, although has worked a lot for the government and contracts. He's out there advocating uh, for this, and he was the lead scientist for Bass when these reports were created. And I reached out to him and asked him point blank, did you guys get material? Uh, did did you analyze it? And that's what these reports were about. And he said, no, none of this had to do, do with UAP material. 
And I, I point to him as, as uh, at least one somewhat credible voice because I think that if there was any, any, any credence to this being UFO or UAP material, he would have said it. Or he would say, uh, uh, because of my NDA, I can't comment. And, and, and yet he didn't. He was saying straight out, no, this, that, that, that's misleading, I believe was, was one of the ways he put it. Well, I think the counter argument here is, well, yeah, they came out and said we've got this debris and now they're backtracking on it and they can't go back. Um, so that's the counter argument that's, that's being made today that the original the original statement was correct but now they're back backtracking on it to kind of uh, repair the damage i just don't see that argument and and again i mean i've got evidence to back that up with numerous foia cases that what you ask for is not necessarily what you get and it's going back to what i talked about earlier with loosely responsive versus exactly responsive if he's going to the bank with a template letter uh, a DIA response, um, that's a that's going to be a tough sell. I, I don't see how he can do it because the FOIA officers, in my experience, uh, again, they, they got their heart in the right place and want to help. But they he probably he may not even have known what UAP was that he just saw material. And that was the trigger word. You know, when, and, when you say he might not have known, you're referring to the FOIA officer, the FOIA officer. Yeah, because a lot of times you request things. They, they don't know 100 percent of what you're looking for. So they and UAP, pull out UAP is a new term that they're banting about in the higher levels of government, although we've been using similar terms in the UFO field for 20, 30 years. Exactly. And, and but again, I'm 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 kind of just throwing this idea out there that it didn't have to be the UAP portion of this request. Anthony specifically had a a line for reports, analytical reports and authors and titles and uh, with no mention of UAPs or UFOs or so on and so forth. So that is why I, I feel that if he's if he's banking on that letter, then he's got a tough case. The other thing he said in his public response to me was that there were phone calls with the FOIA officer. Uh, I want to add this really quick. When you do phone calls with FOIA officers and let's say you amend a request, doing a FOIA request is very much a legal arena. It's not like, hey, can you guys give me that? And they go, sure, yeah, here you go. We'll fax it to you. It's not like that. They're legal documents and you have to go through a process. And if you come to an agreement or an amendment over the phone, most of the time the FOIA officer will ask you to summarize it and send it in writing. And that will be the official amendment, because in the legal arena, a phone call doesn't matter. It, do, it really doesn't. So if he's going to uh, now rely on a phone call, it, that's silliness, because most FOIA officers don't work that way. I'm not saying that that's true 100 percent of the time. But with something like this, if you amend a request or change the scope, they want it in writing. Even though you did it over the phone, they ask you, please send me an email stating that you're OK with X, Y and Z. And, and I can tell you, I've done that hundreds and hundreds of times over the years for them to amend it without doing that. Yeah, it's happened, but very, very rare. So, again, if he's banking on a phone call that none of us are privy to, I think he's going to fall short making the proof. Well, I think when we look at the world today and the news media today, and we we've heard for years and years about highly placed sources or unidentified sources and, and what these sources are going to say. And then when it 
when push comes to shove, the sources don't exist or they're not highly placed or they say something completely different when they have to go on the record. I think we're all very skeptical of that sort of information. We need to see something that is documentable that we can prove. And I ran into this and I'm running out of time here, but with uh, I was accused of misquoting General Exxon and things that he had said about the Roswell case. I had it on tape. And I was able to pr produce the tape and said, this is what the tape says. And General Exxon said, yes, I did say those things. The, 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 the transcripts and the quotes attributed to me are accurate. And you have to have that to back it up because it's going to become go down to he said, she said type arguments. And then it's just going to not be what the evidence is, but whose side you want to fall upon. Yeah, and it gets frustrating because people want to make extraordinary claims, but they don't even have evidence, let alone extraordinary evidence, to back it up. And this is sadly one of those um, one of those cases. And and it and it goes on the heels of quite a few other uh, big articles in the last year or two that have made these gigantic claims. Sadly, namely one in particular, which is the New York Times. But but that's where I say it just has to stop. We need to we need to get to a point where we're not afraid to call it out because we're confident enough in our belief that this topic deserves more. It's still OK to call out the bunk material that's out there. It's and not some OK. People, they it's, don't want to do it's that. It's not OK to call it out. It's required to call it out. We must if we're going to get any kind of traction in, in the scientific community or the journalistic community, we have to call it out ourselves and say this is bunk. You've got to stop listening to this stuff. And here's where we are on this sort of thing. And here's the evidence that we can offer you. And, and I wish more. That's why I respect you a lot. As you know, I've, I've been on the show and said that. And um I, that's why I respect your angles on things because you're not afraid to. But I can say comfortably, the majority of people in this field that have names that people recognize don't do it. Some even capitalize on it, but that's a different show. But they don't do it, and they should. They're afraid to hurt their their core foundational uh, audience, and we can't do that either. I know I upset people if I do a video and I blow the claims out of the water when the New York Times says Harry Reid said off-world vehicles, you know, and that that upsets people. And I understand that I'm not out to upset people, but I get it happens. But we shouldn't be afraid to do it because there's enough evidence to stand on its own to support why this topic deserves attention. And yet from the media to some of the bigger names in this field, they just love it. They love the attention facts be darned and that just has to stop and and, and we're, we're seeing more of that in the field too i mean people are being much more careful in what they report at least some of us are, are much they? more careful <laughs> in, in what we report well i was thinking of nick redford being careful in what he reports and 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 uh, you know some of the other people i know very well being more careful than they report i mean i've been caught in in errors uh, myself, and I think it's incumbent upon us if we've made a mistake, we must correct the mistake ourselves. Sure. Uh, and I, I'm thinking of Frank Kaufman specifically here, and we discovered that he was making up his entire Roswell story. But it's incumbent upon us to, to expose that as well. Not only look for the sensational UFO story, but also also verify and vet the information that's being put out there. So we we need to do all of that. I, and I hope more people get on board with that. I mean, I make mistakes all the time. You can ask my wife. She'll support me on that. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, you just got to own up to it. I mean, none of us are perfect. But sadly, some people just dig their heels in and they won't look back. And, and, and they will just dig in and um, 
essentially it's it's their right or it's nothing. And I've always been open to be proven wrong on some of the questions I've asked or some of the assertions I've made. Um, but sadly, the evidence isn't there. And w- with the claims about this Pentagon d- admitting to debris, the evidence isn't there either. Hey, John, want to thank you for taking time to chat with us this afternoon. Uh, it, always a pleasure. And it's always very informative. Enjoy the shows with you. Uh, we'll have you back uh, soon when I run out of other guests, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you got nothing else better. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. <laughs> well, th- thank you much, John. Appreciate it. It's theblackvault.com. Uh, John Greenwald is the guy. Uh, he's got books out there to take a look at all of that sort of thing uh, as well. And uh, I don't do a good job of promoting my own stuff here, and, and I'm kind of bad at it. Uh, the books that I've got out now that I think you need to look at are the best of Project Blue Book, and it touches on some of the stuff we talked about today. Uh, Encounter in the Desert talks about the Lonnie Zamora case and uh, the landing there and some of the documentation that exists in that. And Roswell in the 21st century, I look at it as kind of a cold case examination of the Roswell case and where we are in the 21st century and what we know because a lot of that information has changed because we've gotten more information and we've learned more about those uh, people who have uh, been involved in all of that sort of thing. And if you like the books, uh, put a rating on uh, Amazon. And, uh, of course, take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and www.vietnamgroundzero.com. Let us know what you think. You have been listening to A Different Perspective on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, and I'll be back in 167 hours, so thanks for tuning in.